Chapter Twenty One of People Like That. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. People Like That by Kate Langley Bosher. Chapter Twenty One. Jimmy followed me to the taxi, and as Selwyn snapped the door, he huddled in an opposite corner, as if effacement were an obligation required by the situation in which he found himself. But he had never been in an automobile before, and his sense of awe soon yielded to eager anxiety to miss no thrill of the unexpected experience. His face was pressed against the glass pane of the door before we had gone two blocks, in the hope that he might see someone who would see him in the glory of an adventure long hoped for and long delayed, and Selwyn and I were forgotten in the joy of a dream come true. There was time to tell Selwyn but little of the woman I was going to see. Mrs. Gibbons's home was only a short distance from Scarborough Square, and before I could do more than give the briefest explanation of Mrs. Cotter's condition, of her long hours of work and lack of home life, the cab had stopped, and Jimmy, springing out, hopped on his unhurt foot to the sagging gate of his little yard and opened it for us to pass through. Going up the broken steps, I pushed open the partly closed door and went in. A faint light from the kerosene lamp, set on a bracket in the wall at the far end of the hall, caused weird shadows to flicker on the floor and up the narrow staircase, and for a half-minute Selwyn and I waited until we could see where we should go. From the middle room we could hear hoarse and laboured breathing and the stir of footsteps on the bare floor. Putting my hand on the doorknob, I was about to turn it when Mrs. Gibbons came out, holding Mrs. Cotter's little girl by the hand. I'm glad you've come. She keeps calling for you. Her voice was the monotone of old, and as unmoved as ever, she nodded to me and then looked at Selwyn. Is he a doctor? Did he come to see her? I explained Selwyn's presence and suggested that he wait for me while I went to Mrs. Cotter. Beckoning him to follow, she went toward her kitchen bedroom, but stopped to give warning of the two steps that led down to it, and as she stopped, I heard the low whimper of the frightened child by her side, and saw her footsteps drag. "'I want my mother. I want to go back to my mother. I don't want to go away from my mother.' Was it well to let her go back? Only a few minutes were left for them to be together. Was it kind of cruel to keep them apart?' Uncertain, I looked at the group before me, and saw Selwyn stoop and take the child, a little girl of five, up in his arms. "'Your mother is going to sleep,' his voice was low, "'and we are going to be quiet and not wake her. "'Jimmy will play with you, and I—' "'Will you tell me a story?' Sleepily, the child leaned against his shoulder, one arm thrown over it. "'Will you tell me a pretty story about—' As they disappeared through the door opening into Mrs. Gibbons's quarters, I went into Mrs. Cotter's room, but for a moment drew back. I had learned not to shrink at much that once I would have run from, but the gaunt body and ghastly face of the woman propped against pillows on the bed frightened me, and my feet refused to move. All the hardships and denials, the injustices and inequalities of working womanhood, unfit to fight and unprepared for struggle, were staring at me and on the open lips was something of the mocking smile that had been on Lily Pierce's face when she was first brought in to Mrs. Mundy. 
heavily and with great labor breath came gaspingly and the blank stare in the eyes made me think at first i was too late slowly i went toward the bed and at its side i took a twitching hand in mine and as i did so the staring eyes turned to me too nearly gone for aught save faint returning light struggled back in a supreme and final effort and with life's last spark of energy she clutched my fingers with her work-worn weary hands miss white the district nurse who was standing at the foot of the bed nodded to me and from a far corner the sobbing of a man and woman in shabby clothes and crouched close together reached across the room all other worlds were for the moment far away and only the world before me seemed real and true and unescapable drawing a low chair close to the bed i sat down and leaned toward the woman there was little time to lose what is it mrs cotter look at me this is dandridge heath you have something you want to say to me tell me what it is her head made backward twisting movement as if for breath then her eyes held mine and in them was the cry eternal of all motherhood my little girl my little girl if only i could take her with me who's going to tell her how not to go wrong she won't be safe on earth promise me promise me promise you what i leaned still further over the bed the fire of a tortured soul was burning in the eyes before me and out of them had gone dull glaze and ghastly stare into them had come appeal both piteous and passionate and fear that defied death what must i promise my eyes held hers lest words should wander tell me what i must do don't let them put her in an orphan home the ones who manage it don't know themselves how life treats girls they mean kind but they don't teach them what might happen little etta little etta blake lived in an orphan home and now now the hands in mine were dropped amazement for the moment making me forget all else i leaned yet closer where is she where is etta blake where can i find her as if groping the eyes looking into mine made effort to understand then turned away you can't find her now it's too late she was let go to work and she didn't know she come from a little town to a big one and nobody told her what might happen my little nora who's going to tell her with violent effort the figure on the bed attempted to sit up and the twitching hands were flung one on either side then again they clutched mine why don't god let me take her with me promise me he won't forget my little nora won't let them put her in an orphan home promise me you will watch gaspingly she lay back on the pillows but her eyes held mine promise i promise i will not forget before god and a dying woman i was pledging protection for a homeless child my voice broke and then steadied i promise and i will watch as of that which held had snapped the tossing head lay quiet and out of the face fear faded and into it as softly as widens dawn at break of day came peace 
The sobbing in the corner of the room had ceased, and through the thin walls I could hear Selwyn's low tones as he told stumblingly to the child a story that was keeping her quiet, and I knew he, too, was on new thresholds. He, too, was entering unknown worlds. Tell her! Flame spent, the eyes again opened, and this time looked at Miss White. Tell her why I don't want. They mean to be good, but people like that don't know how people like us. Martha White thrust her handkerchief up her sleeve, cleared her throat, and straightened her wide and rustling apron. She's been trying to tell me all day that she didn't want Nora to be put in an orphan asylum, and yet there's nobody to take her. All her people are too poor to add another child to their families. She came closer and lowered her voice that it might reach no one but me, and with her shoulders made movement toward the bed, with her hands to the man and woman still close together in tearless silence in the corner. You know how people like that are. They judge everything by the few cases that come within their knowledge, and— most of us do. What does she know about asylums that prejudices her so? Little, except she's come across some girls who came out of them who have gone wrong, and she thinks it's because they were kept too shut off from outside life, and told too little of temptations and real truths, and, and things like that. What she means is that she thinks those who manage asylums and homes try to keep the girls innocent through ignorance, and when they are turned out to go to work, they don't understand the dangers that are ahead. Some grown-ups forget that young people crave young ways and pretty things and good times, and that they've got to be taught about what they don't understand. Little Yetta, Etta Blake was an orphan. She was like a bird in a cage. When she got out, if only they had told her. The voice from the bed was strangely stronger, and the fingers, still twisted into mine, made feeble pressure. I leaned closer. Where is she? Where is Etta Blake? Where can I find her? You can't find her. It's too late. We worked at the same place, once, and I tried to make... But she said it was too late. The gasping voice trailed wearily, and the face, turning from me, lay still upon the pillow. Presently I saw Miss White start and come closer. The short, quick breath had stopped. At Mrs. Mundy's front door, Selwyn, holding the sleeping child in his arms, looked at me. What are you going to do with her? His voice was uncertain, and in it there was not the disapproval I had expected from the telling of my promise to Mrs. Scotter. You can't keep her, can you? I shook my head. She mustn't stay in town. The doctor says her case is too advanced to be arrested, and the only thing that can be done is to make her as comfortable and happy as possible, until she can go to her mother. I don't know what is best to be done. I must be near enough to see her every now and then. Mr. Gard will tell me what to do. Whenever I don't know, I ask him. He always helps me. Are you never to ask me to help you? Selwyn's voice was low, but from his eyes was no escape, and as the light from the door which I had opened with my latchkey fell upon his face, I saw it flush, saw in it what I had never seen before. You! I was very tired, and something long held back struggled for utterance. You! The word was half a sob. If only you! 
Mrs. Mundy was coming down the hall, and at the door her hands went out to take the child from Selwyn. Bettina told me, and I thought perhaps you'd bring the little creature here. I've got a place all fixed. You're tired out. She turned to me, and then to Selwyn. Thank you, sir, for taking care of her, for going with her and bringing her back. I'm sorry I wasn't here to do it myself. She's needing of someone to look after her. Turning, she went down the hall with the child in her arms, and Selwyn, also turning, walked down the steps and got into the cab. End of chapter 21